pray together. Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we have, for the last number of weeks, a few months now, been uh, moving through this travel narrative at the center of Luke's gospel. We've got one Sunday left from Luke 18 today. Um, this travel narrative in the middle through Samaria connects the beginning of the gospel, which takes place in Galilee, with the end of the gospel, which is um, pictured for us in Jerusalem and takes place there as climactic victory, as Jesus goes to the cross and emerges from the tomb, ascends into heaven, and then sends the Spirit. Uh, as we have been moving through this passage, um, Jesus has been teaching us. And last week, we remembered in particular that for us, for Christians, it is not so much our past, Galilee, or even our present, Samaria, that is most important in defining who we are. Instead, it is that future reality uh, that is the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, that by the power of the Spirit, enters into our lives even now, even in the present. And as the kingdom comes, we're called, we're called to seek the kingdom, as the kingdom comes more fully in our hearts, we begin to share that reality where we find ourselves under God's rule, God's good and loving rule. We share that kingdom with those around us, perhaps in our homes, our friends, our family, the folks in our neighborhood or in our community. And slowly but surely, the kingdom begins to spread. So it's good to remember that we are citizens first of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, as we have been reminded of that, we've also thought in the whole scope of the gospel about just the incredibly amazing things that Jesus is doing. Uh, we've become familiar with the story, many of us, and so maybe it's lost a little bit of its luster. But remember, Jesus is God with us, and God chose to be born in a manger in a place of humility. Um, this same Jesus uh, astounded people in the temple at the age of 12. Uh, when he was baptized in the Jordan River, the heavens split open and the Spirit descended and the voice of the Father spoke God's pleasure over him. Immediately from there, he goes into the wilderness to do battle with the devil himself. Over and over again, we see the magnitude of what Jesus is doing. When he emerges from the desert, um, he begins to heal people of various diseases and illnesses, demonstrating power over them, showing us what the kingdom looks like. It's not a place of disease and pandemic. It's a place of healing uh, where all is well and, and all are at peace. He begins to teach us slowly but surely about what this kingdom what is involved with this kingdom, what it means to be in on it, how do we begin to enter in. As he's teaching these things, as he's healing people, crowds begin to follow him. Huge groups of people want to hear what he has to say because he teaches not as the scribes and the Pharisees, but he teaches as one who has authority because he does have authority. They want to bring their friends to him and their family members so that he can lay hands upon them and touch them and heal them. Remember the woman that he saw when she came to the synagogue who had a disabling spirit for 18 years and she was bent over and couldn't straighten herself. And when Jesus sees her, he does what? He calls her 
over and lays his hand upon her and says, you are free from your disability. And she stands up straight. She hadn't done it in nearly two decades. We remember the lepers from last week who cried out to Jesus from the crossroads of life. And he says, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were healed. He healed them with but a word because he is the word. The word who spoke creation into being. The word who went to the cross and redeems us. The word who is opening up even now the kingdom of heaven to all who believe. Crowds follow him. Leaders take note of him. The Pharisees, Sadducees, the Zealots. The Roman Empire begins to recognize there's something going on with this one-time carpenter from Nazareth. Maybe we could say uh, from Newland, right? Nobody had heard of that place until Jesus put it on the map. As these things begin to unfold, we, we can't really blame the disciples. I, 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 I tried to figure out if I could, and I, I just couldn't do it for what they do in the passage today. See, they've seen Jesus. They, they believe that he's the Messiah. He's turning the world upside down. He's saving the world. And so they naturally become just a little bit protective of his time. Jesus probably needs to spend his, everybody wants a piece of him, but he probably needs to spend his energy on those important folks who come to see him and not the kids. Remember this passage now? Folks who are even bringing their children to Jesus so that he could lay his hand upon them. Listen carefully and listen well. This too is the word of the Lord. from Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God truly Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, whoever does not enter the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. Uh, when I read this passage this week, I was reminded of the fresco down at Cross North School, of course. If you haven't seen that, go to the chapel. An amazing fresco. It takes up the entire back wall. Uh, an image of this. I was reminded also of my neighbor's yard who has a little statue of Jesus with two kids in their lap. And Lily and Ann always love to go sit in his lap too, but they're way too big now, and so you can't even see Jesus anymore. <laughs> I was also reminded how often in the last few weeks as I've been working from home a bit more, doing all of my very important things, sending emails and making phone calls and recording videos and studying a passage and reading books. I was reminded how, how often in the course of all the important things that I was doing, how when my kids came to me saying, Daddy, would you help me put on this dress? Or, Daddy, would you get me a snack? Or, Daddy, can I sit in your lap? How often I said, no, no, I'm 
a little too busy right now. Not too much to do. I'm doing some important work. So that was a little humbling, uh, wasn't it? Um, it? I'm just trying to like, you know, read a chapter of something, and Jesus is busy saving the world, and he has time for kids when they come to him. But, but this isn't just a passage about how, how loving Jesus is and how much he does care for every single human being created in his image, um, children included. This is all, see, Jesus is, he uses this opportunity to, again, completely turn around the disciples or, or my understanding of what's important, what's significant. Um, they think he just needs to entertain and converse with the leaders and the prominent people. But Jesus doesn't just say, no, let the children come to me. They're worthy of that. He also says, you actually need to pay attention to them and learn from them. Because the kingdom of God, the whole thing that he's bringing about, the whole thing that he's doing belongs to such as these. And, and then he tells the disciples, unless they enter, unless they receive the kingdom of God like a child, they, they won't enter it. The disciples, I have eyes for all this important stuff going on out here. right? And Jesus, Jesus redirects our attention onto who of all people? Kids. And so what I've what I want to do this morning is, um, if you'll indulge me, I want to share a few things I've learned from my kids this last week as I've tried to pay a little more attention. Um, and this isn't just to talk about Michael's kids. We could do this with any of the kids of our church. Hopefully you've been paying attention to Olivia the last few weeks as she sung to us and led us in worship. I think you could learn something from her. Uh, you could do this with your kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, uh, any, of the, any of the children in your life. But I'm closest to mine, and so I thought that uh, I could learn best from them. So, uh, you know, it's nice when a preacher has three kids, because that's a three-point sermon just waiting to happen. <laughs> so here we go. Spencer, Anna, and Lily. Spencer is three months old now, and two weeks ago I told you she, she laughed for the first time. And then yesterday she rolled over for the first time. So she, she is just taking this thing called life by the horns and swinging up overhead and saying, I got this. Um, but I'm not ready for her to have her own apartment yet. Uh, because one of the things I've learned from her is dependence. Uh, dependence and delight. Dependence and delight. That's what I'm learning from my infant daughter. That, you know, there's not much that is, that is more helpless in the world than a baby, uh, than a human baby. Right? Uh, she can't feed herself. She can't reposition herself, and trust me, she can't put herself to sleep. Uh, she is completely dependent upon her parents. So much so that, you know, when she's hungry, she cries so that mom will come feed her. Um, when she's uncomfortable, what does she do? She cries out so that dad will come and uh, change positions for her or hold her differently. When she sleeps, she cries so that mom and dad will come and hold her so that she can go to sleep. Um, as I've thought about that and how dependent she is upon us, I've thought, too, about how, how much of my life is spent uh, trying to do two things, really, um, as far as I can tell. Like, accumulate things so as to protect myself uh, from having to be dependent on anyone or anything else and to guard my health. I wonder how much of your life you spend doing those two things, accumulating stuff, whether that's uh, 
I mean, it could, be, it could be any number of things. It could be enough food to build in some security for you. Uh, it could be enough um, dollars in the bank account to guard against uh, potential disaster. Um, you could be guarding your health in various ways. I'm, I'm thankful uh, many of you, as you, when you're getting close enough to need to wear a mask, you're wearing a mask. Um, we, we do these things naturally. We spend a lot of our time giving ourselves over to um, guarding ourselves from the vicissitudes of this world and the dangers and the unexpected things. We don't want to be dependent, and so we accumulate. Now, that's not to say this isn't a bad idea. I mean, I think it's a mark of wisdom to a certain degree, but what I'm, what I'm trying to drive at is that um, that can be unhealthy when it becomes an illusion that you can actually take care of yourself, that you actually aren't dependent completely on God. And if a pandemic doesn't open our eyes to that reality, I'm not sure what will. Because it doesn't matter how much stuff we have or food we have in the fridge or whatever, a virus can get to us. It doesn't matter how many masks we wear. I mean, if we're in too close a contact, we, we can get sick. We can't guard our health enough. Right? And so um, Spencer is helping me to see that it's okay to be dependent. We don't like it. We don't enjoy that feeling, but, but actually there's tremendous freedom in it because you know what happens? She rec- she's not trying to uh, do a whole lot right now. She knows she needs help and she cries out for it. And so when, when we feel the need for something, I think it's good that we cry out to God. Because what happens with Spencer when she cries out, mom or dad show up. We take her in our arms. We care for her. We get her what she needs. And then, you know what happens? She smiles her amazing smile goes ear to ear, and she's learning to laugh. She delights, in fact, in being dependent upon us. She delights in being in our presence. She doesn't see us, she cries, we come, and she smiles. I I think, I mean, that sounds really simple. That sounds like a pretty decent uh, um, approach to being in a relationship with God, recognizing your need to depend on Him, crying out to God, and delighting in His presence when He shows up and cares for you. Dependence and delight. When you delight in God, it also frees you up to delight in the people around you. You don't think of the world as something to accumulate and take and then guard. There's freedom that comes. Uh, One of Spencer's favorite things to do is lie underneath a tree and just look up at the leaves. When's the last time you did that? If you haven't done that in a long time, you need to get your kid back and go do it. It is amazing. It is delightful. I recommend you do that this afternoon if you can. Dependence and delight. From, from, uh, from Anna, who is three, um, I'm being taught how to worship. Sounds like a, something for a preacher to say, doesn't it? But it's true. Um, one of Anna's favorite things to do in the whole world is to sing. And, uh, you know, on her recent list, there's been some Moana Disney show, right? But she also is loving, just her, her little soft voice from the back room, hallelujah, Christ is with me. Um, and she doesn't know the whole song, so she just sings that over and over, but she doesn't get tired of it. Hallelujah, Christ is with me. Um, she'll sing, thanks to, thanks to our worship team, right? Maybe you've been singing that in your room as well. I hope so. Um, she, she will sing, uh, God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. And she's just like, wow, I can't believe it. 
Um, so, but yes. But my favorite thing is when she doesn't really know the words. To, like she knows kind of amazing grace a little bit, but she doesn't know all the words. And so she makes up her own. That's what she does most often. She just makes up whatever comes off the top of her head, which can be funny sometimes, but also profound. Uh, one of my favorites is she will sing, I mean, literally at the top of her lungs. God, you love me so much. And when she sings, she doesn't just like to stand in place. Um, she sings at the top of her lungs, and she puts her entire body into it. She's very dramatic. She gets out and does this, and she spins and twirls, and she gets her dress going, and she runs at full speed as hard as she possibly can across the yard, um, elbows out. When's the last time you worshipped like that? With everything that you had. And enjoyed God enjoying you. We miss that sometimes. Uh, I'm so worried about, you know, following the rules or this, that, and the other. But like, when's the last time you enjoyed God enjoying you? God, you love me so much. When's the last time you said that to God? And Anna's not just concerned with doing this on Sunday mornings, 10 o'clock on the lawn, although that's very important and we're called to it. She's not concerned with getting up and setting aside, you know, 10 or 15 minutes in the morning. She does this all day. Every day. It doesn't matter when. It's always time to worship. And she loses herself in that. Dependence, delight, worship. Truly, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Dependence, delight, worship. Uh, Lily is five. And she's growing up in so many ways. And one of the ways that I've noticed that in particular is her prayers. Her prayers are beginning to expand, uh, to grow. Uh, we say our prayers at night right before we go to bed. Lily always leads us off. And she starts like this. She says, God. I mean, she's like, she's talking to you. God, she's not trying to impress me. She's not trying to get the words right. She's just talking to God. God, and multiple, probably three or four times a week, she starts like this. God, uh, thank you for the best day that we've ever had. And you know what we've been doing for the last few months? Nothing. Same as y'all. Nothing. And she is thankful for one of the best days that she's ever had. She begins with gratitude for the gift of life. God, thank you for the best day we've ever had. She prays for her family. Um, thank you for mommy and daddy and Lily. She prays for herself. It's important. And Anna and Spencer. She prays for our dog. She thanks God for our house. Things closest and the people closest to her. She prays for her friends. Sometimes friends at church. Recently, she's been thanking God for Lauren and Emmy, two friends who have moved into our neighborhood, uh, John and Susan Driggers. Family comes to church here. That's been a gift. Um, so she prays, thanking God for the day, thanking God for her family and for her friends. She prays for huge things. She makes massive requests. She, she prays every night now, and if she forgets, she comes back and interrupts Anna and says, oh yeah. She says, God, heal everyone who has the corona. That's a, that is a big prayer. 
heal everybody that has the corona. She prays it every night. And then she immediately follows this up in the next breath with, um, and take care of Anna's bug bites. Right? So she prays for massive things, and then she prays for seemingly insignificant things. God, heal my boo-boo. Right? Thanks God for the day, for family or for friends. She prays for big things, for little things. And recently, she has begun to thank God. I think this, I think this comes from Amber, actually, in Sunday school. She says, God, thank you for, she says, Jesus, thank you for dying for us on the cross. And then she rolls over, and in about three minutes, she's asleep. And I've been learning from her prayers. Uh, but the thing I, I want you to um, be careful about, I don't want you to think that Jesus is, when Jesus says, basically, have the faith of a child, receive the kingdom of God like a child, he's not saying uh, that this is blind faith, that this is faith without curiosity, or without questioning, or without probing. If you think that childlike faith is blind faith, then you haven't been around a kid in a little while. Because Lily asked me more questions than any of you. She's asked me more questions in a week about God than anyone here. Hard questions. Dad, where's God? Um, <laughs> theological questions. Kids are, we, we are made to know God. They, they naturally want to know these things. Where's God? Well, okay, God... God's in heaven. God also lives in your heart. How can he be in both places at the same time? Um, where's Jesus right now? Why can't I see him? Um, why did Jesus die on the cross? Uh, why did those people do that to him? Um, why didn't God heal my boo-boo last night? Right? If you think that childlike faith is unquestioning faith, uh, just take whatever faith, then maybe we can learn from these kids who do not cease to ask questions. You know, as we grow up, we tend to come to a place. Maybe some of us are in that place. We're like, we're okay with God now. We know, we're, we're no, we know that we trust in him and he's died for us. We're going to go to heaven when we die, and that's sort of it. Um, kids refuse that. It's a relationship. When you love somebody and you're in a relationship, you want to know everything about them. There's always more to God than you know. God's revealed himself in Jesus. And there's more that you can know of him in the power of the Spirit. Um, truly, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Maybe there's something here for us to think about as we grow in dependence and delight and worship and prayer as we do not stop asking questions. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.